In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the, the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Jesus, full of the Spirit, is led by that same Spirit into the wilderness, a place where nothing lives, to be all alone until his encounter with the devil. Ash Wednesday, we began with a proverb, not from the Bible, the School of Solomon, but from the School of Life. It was from a mentor and friend of all souls, Dr. J.I. Packer. Do not let the good become the enemy of the best. Something of this will remain with me, at least, as a key to Lent. Do not let the good become the enemy of the best. But today I reach back further to those who exerted a significant influence earlier in a previous life. I'll dip a little into autobiography and pray to be pulled out of it soon enough for you. If you may not always be inspired, you can at least always be precise. This is the proverb I heard. If you may not always be inspired, you can at least always be precise. This previous life of mine was a life in the theater with a particular emphasis on opera, and of many of my mentors there were amigres who had left everything and yet who had brought so much with them, whether invited as honored guests or received hurriedly with the clothes on their backs, they brought much with them. Much prized was the depth of their experience and the breadth of their technical expertise. If you may not always be inspired, you can <clears throat> at least always be precise. Uh, <clears throat> this quote is from a German, as you might have imagined, and Germans, Germans paid an enormous part in my in my growth, uh, Peter Stein, a well-known director. And it's a self-explanatory. He is acknowledging that he would rather be inspired, but if he cannot be, and he also acknowledges that that's really not up to him, inspiration comes from somewhere else to the artist, he will guarantee that he will know what he's looking for and he will be able to tell you what he's looking for very precisely so that you can do it. Inspiration comes from without, and you cannot grasp it or seize it or maintain it under your control. It is there or it is not, and it is very nice when it is there. But where inspiration fails, you must have a technique which is sufficient to make up the difference. Ideally, there will be no difference between what comes and goes and what you have under your control. What is yours to use as circumstances require what you have in your grasp. When you are young, you must have something in your hand, as Karyan said to young people who came to him, right here at your disposal. It's very tempting to think that what one has and what one receives then, as one matures as an artist, are meshed so seamlessly that there is no apparent difference in quality between what's inspired and given and what you create from your own technique. If so, after all, one soon has no need of inspiration, and indeed that's the way it goes. It's all technique, 
It can all be acquired with discipline and hard work. And if we work very hard toward that ideal, you really don't need inspiration at all. You can always pull the solution from that little drawer or that little bag of tricks. If it didn't work five years ago, maybe it will work this time. One has it then, and one is self-sufficient. It's a very tempting place to go. It may not even be just in the arts when this emphasis on know-how, on technique, becomes so very attractive, and maybe not just the Germans. They may have developed it, but it has spread very well in other places. It's not true, of course, as we would learn when we stepped out of the domain of our subsidized civic theater and saw work of real passion done by artists, usually young, with no money and little technique, but who had something to say, something we forgot in our own privileged place. Well, you can see where this is going. Jesus is being tempted. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, inspired, returned from the Jordan, and was led by that same Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the Spirit. No, for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. This is a true Holy Spirit move to lead you to the place where you are going to be tested bodily, physically in every way, brought to starvation. One day of fasting does me in, I can tell you. And you're going to be tempted by the devil. The Holy Spirit is saying, this is how we grow. This is how we grow. The prince of the world then puts him through his appointed paces as the Holy Spirit watches. Are you cut out to be a Caiaphas or a Herod Antipas or a Judas Maccabeus? The adversary asks, worship me and it will all be yours. Take things into your hands, your own hands, and I will give you a flawless technique that will get you through anything this world throws at you. Hungry? I'll give you bread, the basics, and the power to grow grain in gravel. I'll give you the power to feed yourself. No need to depend on the whims of creation or the creator or anyone else. You want food, it's there. Jesus answered him, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. I am rejecting this declaration of independence, he says. Ambitious. The adversary ups the stakes. You have more cultivated tastes. I'll give you signs and wonders. And you can bring the nations to your feet with those, the whole world. Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Jesus never uses the signs and wonders he manifests for his own benefit. The devil throws down the glove. I know who you are, he says, your secret's safe with me. But, echoing the serpent, did God really say, you're the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of God? Then take your place on the throne of glory right now. Why wait? You know you're in his hands. Take things in hand yourself and jump. Jesus answered him, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. You don't rescue yourself, you call on him to do it. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What Jesus is rejecting again and again is a theology of glory, but a theology of glory is a theology of technique, of human control over every circumstance that life can throw at one. It's often an implicit promise that churches issue to people coming through their doors. We will give you 
health and wealth and the power over every misfortune which will come your way. It's not the covenant that Jesus has in mind, however. And the apostle has a different idea as well. You don't draw upon your own strength. If inspiration doesn't come, they are saying, you wait for inspiration. Because there's nothing quite like inspiration. Not the best technique in the world looks like inspiration. You wait. And as the pressure mounts and the people wait for you to produce what it is you're going to do, whether a miracle or a design for some production, you wait and you sweat until inspiration comes. Who gets to call, he says, on the name of the Lord and seek that spirit power is the one who shall be saved, who shall be inspired, filled with that spirit when that moment comes. Who gets to call and the Lord hears and the Lord answers and the Lord asks, he acts. Everyone, everyone gets to call on the Lord whose name has been touched to their heart, whose name has come alive in their heart through the work of God, everyone, Jew or Greek, slave or free, man or woman. In the new creation, none of these differences matter. God's empowering presence inhabits all those who are called inspiration. And that same spirit who fills Jesus as he goes, led by that same spirit, into the wilderness will be the one to say yes to us as we say no to the world and call out to the one who made us and now redeems us, the one who hears inspiration, calling us, listening to us, hearing us as we learn to hear him. To be, to, but to be heard, we must call out from a place of rest. The place of fear, the place of the body, the flesh, as it reacts against our will, our nervous systems coming, cutting into the, act, the adrenaline flowing, is not a place to sing the Lord's song, like David or those in exile in times of trial. We can run on adrenaline, either into the fight or away in flight, but we can't pray. An atmosphere filled with anger and fear sees very little return from the work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's kind of saying, Holy Spirit, you are not welcome here. When we are treated harshly, oppressed and afflicted, that's the time we grow strong in the Lord and his mighty power. When we are powerless, sufferers, enslaved, then he is free to do his work within. When we realize the declaration of dependence, total dependence, that we signed with the Lord, from which he has never stepped back, but to which we have never really entered into submission. Our greatest enemy is ourself and our need to take to control and to react, fight back when we are hit first. We let the enemy, the adversary, choose the battleground and start the battle and win again and again when we in our own strength set out confident and strong and limp back in defeat if we're lucky. When we get the world to solve our problems instead of the church calling us to prayer 
to the work of the Holy Spirit in us one at a time so we can begin through prayer to find the peace and the safety and the trust to draw one another together. The scripture says no one who believes in him will be put to shame. Maybe, but the world will do their best. Do we believe, really? Have we ever felt the shame of one who really believes and has had to stand in weakness when the strength would have been so easy? How to find out if we really believe? Take away the things that hem us in, that define us, but also drag us down, that give us our security walls, our share of such security as this world gives. Our submission, our surrender to that which world, this world provides to make us feel safe. Take that away, and then our faith shows forth. There's power in weakness, not in our exploiting and exploring the weaknesses of others, but in God showing his strength when our weakness is all we have to show. Do we believe? No matter what we see to the contrary, do we believe that as you know our weakness, so may we know your power to save? That's the question we ask this Lent. The greatest weakness we can show is to surrender time, time to come together and to be silent with one another. The adrenaline rushes in all of us as we think of how efficient could that time be? How much else could I achieve in time that is spent in silence with other people, in prayer, in waiting on the Lord? The answer comes. You may discover the clearest sign of what you are really called to be doing, real inspiration in that time of safe silence with one another in which all your defenses are let down your spiritual temperature rises ever so gently and your emotional temperature comes to a pleasant chill place where you are ready to hear the spirit speak for that we have to confess our weaknesses or at least carry them we try so hard to hide our weakness from the world, from one another, from ourselves, and from God. That's a pity. We can fool the world sometimes. We can't fool God ever. And yet he is ever ready to fit his wisdom into our foolishness, hand in glove. His strength into our weakness, our hands, palms turned up, stretched out in prayer, ready to receive. And they will. The church could be a place where we're real in our weakness instead of a place we have to pretend all the time that everything is just fine. Going great, thank you. Yeah, first, first class, thank you, best kind. No, we have to find our weakness. Then we have to have someone we can share that with. Name it. Let them receive it. Begin to build that trust with the humility that that brings and the vulnerability comes the capacity to feel, to feel again, the capacity to love 
and the capacity to listen for a loving God who will then touch us with all the impossible, wonderful, glorious things that he and we can do one at a time to make this world more and more into the model of his kingdom. In humility, in modesty, one thing at a time, reaching out like the mustard seed. Let's use this Lent to claim that quietness. Deacon Baker is convening us here on Saturday mornings to share that quietness. And the response has been strong. There's strength in weakness. But I challenge myself and I challenge all of you to claim the wilderness this Lent, not as a place of suffering, but as a real place of growth, as a real encounter with that same spirit who will make simply evaporate all the things of this world that are pulling us down and tying us up in knots. Come together this Lent. Pray for some of us who are going on a retreat together on behalf of this church to explore a way of being, a spiritual way of being in which this pattern of prayer, of meditation, of openness, of listening and of hearing can be gently worked into our whole lives, not into some kind of Lenten discipline. It's so hard to sell, friends. <laughs> church is so much about entertainment. There's nothing entertaining about this, but there's real beauty. And there's reality there of a kind this crowded world won't let us have anywhere else. Join us or claim some silence for yourself. Take your little booklet home, carve out some time, read your scriptures slowly, out loud. Read it again and again. Give yourself time even as your mind is going crazy with all the things you have to do. Wait in peace. Wait on the Lord and he will be there for you. Amen.